Thank you for downloading the podcast edition of the Community Baptist Church Service for Sunday, June the 8th of 2008. Our pastor, Dr. Tim Hobbs, this morning spoke on the sermon topic, Change is Possible. His scripture reference was Galatians, the first chapter, verses 23 through 24. This morning, we had a special presentation by a women's group home in Evansville, Indiana, called Grace House. Due to time constraints, parts of this service were edited. Join us now as we worship together. to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, that every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I love you, forever I stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, that every breath, all that
people said. Amen. Let us pray together. Oh God, I wonder how often we sing words like, you are the potter and I am the clay, mold me and make me, this is what I pray, and really don't mean those words. These words sound so nice and so pious, and so we freely and gladly sing them, but do we really mean them? What would our lives look like if we truly yielded to your skilled hands to make us what you want us to be? What would our church, our families, our businesses look like if we truly gave our lives to you to be shaped into the Christ-like beings that you have called us to be? We stand before you today, O God, confessing that we hold a lot back from you we ask for your forgiveness and we also ask for your strength to make these words real in our lives for you are the potter and we are the clay help us to be moldable in your hands today amen too hot but that's okay during the summer um a lot of times we do things that are different than during the winter in the winter we drink hot cocoa to get warmed up well in the summer because it's so hot we drink lemonade right you see lemonade have you all had a lemonade stand before where you sell lemonade 
people don't do that much anymore. We used to do that when I was a kid. But um, I was telling, when I was thinking about what to do for this today, um, sometimes it's really hard to figure out a good message. And people who come up here are just, um, you don't even realize how great of a thing that they're doing for you because it's really tough to think of, of how we can lead the children of the church and, um, and search for things to real, that really have meaning in them. Um, but Monday, I was telling one of my little girls that when life gives you lemons, you got to make lemonade. And I thought about that, and I thought, how does that pertain to God? Um, and what can I teach the, the kids in church about that? Um, so actually, this is not my, my thing. I actually did a search on the Internet, and thank goodness for the Internet. But um, Carol Lynn Connell, um, she had a, um, a children's moment type thing on the Internet, and um, it pertained to lemons and lemonade. Um, if you have a lemon and you cut it and you squeeze it into your mouth, what does that taste like? Sour. A lemon is like the hardships that we go through every day. Sometimes it, when, you, when you have to take them on just plain like that, it's really hard. It's not, not a good thing to do, right? But when we take that lemon and we, pour, we squeeze it and pour that lemon juice out, that's like when we pray. If we take those hardships and pour them out of ourselves to God, then he is like, he takes his bowl of sugar, which is his grace, and he puts that with our hardships, and it comes out as lemonade. It makes it easier to take. You still have your troubles, but with God's grace, you can take the, those troubles, and it makes it easier. So that's like your lemonade. And I didn't, I could have come up and made lemonade for you, but I would have made a mess and we wouldn't have wanted that. So, um, but try that when you get home. Um, I have a little poem that she wrote, um, and I think it's really cute, so I'll, I'll read that to you. Uh, it's called Blessed Lemonade. My trouble was like a lemon, a bitter, fearful thing I could not bear. So with weeping and great lamentation, I poured it out to God in prayer. Then I saw, as if in a vision, a gigantic sugar bowl, and some sugar spilled out and began to mix with the many tears of my soul. After much thought, I finally realized the tears I cried over my lemon made me sad, distraught, and afraid. But God stirred, took and stirred in his oh-so-sweet grace and gave me back lemonade. So remember that. When you have troubles, if you pray to God, you can, you can take those troubles and bear them. And uh, with him, you're going to make it through it, okay? Let's pray for a second. Dear Lord, as adults and, and parents in this church, please help us to remind our children and show them every day that the lemons in their lives can be lemonade with your grace. Sometimes it's even hard for us to remember that. But Lord, with your help, we can work every day to teach our children and, and let them learn the lesson and pass the, those things on to their friends, to acquaintances as they grow to their own children. And uh, with your help, we can do that, dear Lord. Please give us the strength as we go out through this day and through this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I do have candy for you, though. And parents, there's Easter candy in here, but you know, there was a lot of it. So. <laughs> you can take a couple if you want, okay? You can take a couple. Two, three, it's fine. There should be plenty. There you go. How about that? Is that better? I'll put it out here so you guys can have more after, okay? Just take a couple. There you go. Oh. Uh -huh. How about that? 
out here so you guys can we're sorry church thank you thank you Nicole dr. Tim asked me to come up here today and and uh, and, and invite and, and or introduce our next guest that we have a uh, special guest here today, uh, someone that I have known for many years. Uh, we go back all through high school, uh, had the pleasure of working with uh, uh, with her at, at a former place of business, Gibbs Die Casting, for many years. Uh, we even worked in the same department for some time. Uh, I left in about 2001, and about 2002, uh, I think Cindy finally, finally left Gibbs, and, and she went on to... Uh, to do some things that were close to her heart, um, things when, when we get out there in the business world that we don't have an opportunity to maybe touch people directly. Um, and so she took that opportunity, uh, much like what Nicole was saying, taking lemons and, and making lemonade. And, and so she was able to, to start at her church uh, working with uh, New Hope Hats. And this was a part-time job that she did and it was providing hats for women who were going through cancer. And she also worked part-time with uh, community marriage builders. Uh, and from that, she went on to uh, become a director at, at the where she is now at Grace House. And that's over in Evansville. And it's, it's a program that's it's through Teen Challenge. And uh, it's a program that reaches out to... Uh, women that are between the ages of 18 and up. Uh, they, they, they deal with a lot of difficulties that we see in our lives a lot, um, some addictions and, and some other problems. Um, and so it's a very, very good program. And she's here to speak to us to let us know what her program is about and uh, how many great successes that she's had. Um, so I bring up here Cindy Gilbert, and she is a, a very close friend of mine, a very confident woman, a very beautiful person, and very beautiful spiritually inside. So please welcome Cindy Gilbert. Mike, she's got the lavalier, Michael. some great times. Pat is a, a, a wonderful friend and um, just a good godly man. And it's been a blessing to me to get to know him. Um, 
and I just want to take this time and thank you for inviting us in, just so I can share with you what God's doing in the Grace House. Now, God has moved me, and like I said, we worked together, and we did the factory stuff, and we did um, computer stuff, and but I wasn't happy. You know, that's it was a job. Well, God had another place for me to be, and it wasn't a job. I can go anywhere and get a job, but this is a calling on my life. And why is it a calling on my life? Is because I've been where all these ladies are. I've done the drugs. I've done the. I've done everything. I had a whole line of junk in my life, um, living a very sinful life. But God called me and straightened me out. And um, and when I accepted Jesus, and I said, "Lord, I belong to you," whatever it is, He says, "Oh, I got a I got a place for you, Cindy." So He called me into the Grace House. Now the Grace House is a residential home for women, 18 and over, with alcohol, drugs, many issues of um, just coping skills. You know, they've had a lot of lemons in their life, and um, they can't deal with that. They don't know how to get to that next step. They, they, you know, a lot of bad decisions. So the ladies decide, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. So they come to us, they cry out to us, and the staff at Grace House open the door and say, come on in. We've got a place for you. And God uses us as staff to work and to minister to these ladies. They come in very broken, very hurt. The families are broken. They're, you know, bridges are just torn apart. Um, families are just, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to help these girls. They, um, they love them so. They've enabled them. They've, they've done everything that possible. They've given them tough love. It's not working. But what they haven't done, these ladies have not completely surrendered and given their life to Christ to let him use them like he has that purpose for them. So they come into our house, and it's 12 to 18 months. We're, we're, we're broke down into like three different phases. Um, first phase is very hard very we we take all their privileges away and then we start rebuilding them you know they have to ask to go to the bathroom they have class study that this year i mean they will read the complete bible they will do character qualities they will be stripped of all their rights and privileges and then god restores them their self-worth um and then they will go on into the next phase where they'll start volunteering uh, start rubbing elbows with society a little bit at the Christian Evansville Christian Life Center. And then they go into the third phase of the program where they, they will hold a job down for four consecutive months. Um, they have to learn budgeting. They uh, start building their families a lot stronger. And you'll see a change in them. And it's just wonderful what God's doing in these ladies' lives because... They were so hurt, so broken, they didn't know where to go. So God's just working at the Grace House, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful program. Um, so we're going to, the ladies will do some signing, some songs, and a couple testimonies. And I just pray that it blesses you. And um, you know, we always need volunteers, people that uh, would like to come over to minister to these women. You know, we have chapel services, we have outings, we have... So much stuff going on. So we always need people to come over and volunteer. 
Um, so right now I'm going to have the ladies come up and we're going to, uh, they're going to sign a song for you. And then I'll give some more information about the Grace House and we'll do some testimonies. Y'all ready? All of you. I'll tell you, we do a lot of counseling with the ladies. We have volunteer counselors, Christian counselors, um, but I also do a lot of counseling with them. And I get to know them one-on-one in a personal relationship. And, and um, we, we talk about you know, what, what their life was to what it is now and what was the root cause. And we get down there and we grab that root and we pull it out because I've seen majority of the time the, the drugs or the alcohol or the cutting or the eating disorder or whatever it is, there's been some other kind of issue that they bury down and they think, you know, there's something wrong with them because something happened to them, that they're, they're not worth it. And so on the surface, that's when they start doing all this stuff, but there's something down deep. And we grab hold of that, and it is just an ugly time. You know, it's very hard for them. For, I mean, these ladies, some are in their 20s, some might be in their 40s or 50s that have pushed this down for all this time. And they, that's just all they knew to do, push it down. But, you know, God releases and, and he gives you freedom. Jesus Christ gives you the freedom. And um, that's what they find. And so with me speaking to these ladies one-on-one, I mean, it is, um, it is a blessing to me just to get to know them and, and be able to help them. So, um, and every woman's got their own story, different story, a lot of pain and a lot of tears. We really go through the tissues in my office, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so right now I want to introduce you to one of the ladies that I would like to share part of her uh, life and what God's doing in her life, where she was and where he's brought her, Mallory. This is uh, Mallory Wooten. She's uh, from Madisonville. So I'll let her share. Does she need this? (laughs) You want to step up there? I never stood at a pulpit and done this so um, Like she said, my name is Mallory, and I just turned 22 this past month. Um, I've been in the program now um, 13 months, and uh, I came into the program um, last May and um, went to Louisville. I started out there, and then I ended up here. But um, I was always raised in church. Um, I went to a Baptist church all my life, ever since I was little, so I really feel at home here. Um, God has brought me so far, and I have absolutely, I have so much to be thankful for, and I am so just blessed to be standing here before you guys, because it really is just a miracle that I'm here today. And um, I just started out drinking and stuff whenever I was in high school and, you know, doing drugs. And um, it eventually got to where I was um, I was doing harder drugs like meth and cocaine. And um, but really, alcohol was just like um, it was always there. And 
alcoholism runs in my family. My dad was alcoholic. My grandpa was an alcoholic. And um, before I was even 21, um, you know, I was just looking for love. I just wanted to be out there in the world. I wanted to have my own house. I wanted to be married, you know. And um, my parents got divorced when I was like 12. And um, I never really had any serious boyfriends um, through high school. But I found this guy. And you know, he was just great, and um, but he was a really bad alcoholic, and so um, my life was just in a down, downward spiral, and um, I was um, drinking at a bar one night, and I was underage, and um, somehow I ended up driving home, and um, I ran off the road, and he passed away due to my choices. He was drinking too, but... Um, I just, I don't even really remember anything. I remember, um, I faintly remember laying in the back of the car and just, I knew that I was in so much trouble, but I was really out of it. And, um, cause I had so much, um, alcohol in my system and, um, they life lighted me to, um, Louisville in a helicopter and, um, they, they didn't know if I was going to make it or not. And so, um, uh, got out of the hospital and stuff and, um, throughout the next year I was, um, wasn't getting any better. I was still drinking and doing everything and I wasn't handling my boyfriend's death at all. And I wasn't dealing with that. And, um, I ended up getting in trouble again, um, with alcohol and got an alcohol intoxication. And, um, that was really my breaking point. I just, I wanted help. I, want, I needed help. I needed to be taken out of my situation and my surroundings. And um, I was very angry with God for what had happened. You know, it was my choices and my decision. But I was, I was angry at him. I was like, God, why did you let this happen to me? You know, and why, could, why couldn't it have been me, you know, that died? And I just, I don't want to live. I don't want to be here. And um, I talked to a pastor friend of my grandmother's and... Um, he uh, he got me hooked up with Teen Challenge, and um, I've I've dealt with a lot this past year of Miss Cindy. Um, <laughs> she we've went around a few times, and I'm very hard headed, and I, I have to do things my way, the hard way. And um, but you know I just suffered from so much depression, and um, I I was condemning myself for what had happened to me, but I know that through Christ Jesus, that's not who I am. That is my past, and that's not who I am, and I don't, I don't have to be that person, and I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I remember whenever I first got here, um, you know, whenever I hear testimonies, I hear the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I know that that's exactly what God has in store for me is a great future. So that's what he's done in my life. So thank you. And that's just one of the stories. There's so many stories, so many women that come through. Um, you know, it, it is very hard and very structured program. And we do have our, well, we clash, you know, but, but you know, we do, we resolve it. 
contra, um, conflict resolution, you know, we, we do that. And um, we see eye to eye on a lot of things because it's Jesus that works through us at the house and he puts us on the right track. And so, um, and, you know, she's grown, Mallory has grown so much since she's come into the program. She's headed to the third phase of the program now where she'll be able to hold a job and, and have her car and do the budgeting and learn to keep her own apartment clean and, you know, that nobody's doing it for you. So um, she's headed into that final stage of the program. Uh, we've had several graduates. Um, right now I think we're at like an 81% success rate um, where the women are out and they're successful, godly women now, some of them might go back and think, you know, I've missed something here, and I've been gone for a year and a half, and they might get back out a little bit, but then they eventually come back over and say, you know, I didn't miss anything. It's, it's, everything's got to do with Jesus Christ. But uh, So right now, I want to introduce you to the uh, next student, and Michelle, um, her, her uh, parents came up from Illinois and brought her children uh, just to uh, spend this time with her. And I really felt that this was prime and perfect opportunity for her to be able to share this and also with her parents, things that maybe she hadn't been able to before. So we might need some tissues up here. I don't know. But uh, Michelle Dickerson. Good morning. So I'm a giant baby already. Um, my name's Michelle. I'm 32 years old, and uh, I've been at Grace House for about four months now. And um, the things that are taking place are rather amazing. But when I walked through those doors, things were not so good. Um, thank you. Hi. Uh, I think as we all do in life, we have things that, uh, that take place, talking about your lemons earlier, just, just normal things that take place in life and um, some things that aren't so normal. But um, when I was young, um, you know, I was raised in church too. We all typically have that story. Um, I was raised in church and um, my parents went to church with us and it was, you know, it was a good situation most of the time. But they went through a divorce, as many families do, and... Um, I am currently realizing how hard that really was on me at the age that I was. I felt that I needed to care for my younger brother, and just I felt a lot of responsibility that I wasn't even really aware that I felt. And um, so that's the kind of stuff that happens at that place. You get to start dealing with some really ugly things you didn't know were there. And so, you know, we get through those kind of things, and your parents do the best they can, and, and that's, that's the way it is. And so you go on living life, and things are good, and, um, you know, go through some bad spots and some good spots. But... I made it till about the time I was 14, and um, when I was 14, I, I had a boyfriend, and believe me, I was in love, let me tell you. And uh, that was just, I guess, uh, it was just an awful situation it turned out to be um, when I was 14. Um, he was a very confused young man and, and very sick, and uh, he actually committed suicide, and um, that was so devastating. I am just now learning, because I thought I had dealt with that, too, oh, that um, I hadn't. Because the uh, the aloneness <laughs> and how sad I felt was 
unbelievable. I don't ever want to feel that way again. And I hope that I don't ever feel that way. And I don't even know how to express the words to you of how that felt. I could not understand why a loving God would let things like that happen and devastate a family and devastate a town. And, and I was young and what could I have possibly done that wrong by that time? And I have a lot of had, I'm working through a lot of anger with that and, and a lot of hurt because that, that was devastating. And so I think, you know, what I'm learning is that about that time I really started to utilize things of the world to help me cope with a day just to get through things. And about that age, well, I know it was about that age, I started drinking, and drinking was never really that big of a deal. But then uh, the other things came into the picture. I started smoking pot. I started, um, that's really all I pretty much did until I got into nursing school, and then I found out about wonderful concoctions of things that could really take your mind off things and you know by the grace of God I have managed to keep my nursing license and continue my education but that is through no effort of my own let me tell you but as a result of my uh, decisions and I guess we could call them poor decisions um, I ended up in a little bit of trouble and I've I've lied to those people sitting over there and I've hurt them and I've drug them through the mud but I know that God is, God is a wonderful God because they sit here today and they support me and they're going to back me up when I go home and I've got a support system and I have so many things that so many people don't have and I'm really working on becoming grateful and learning what I truly have and I have that only through God. When I came back to, or when I came to Grace House, I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ and since then things have really been turning around for me. Believe me, I have my days where I'd rather fight with that lady over there than look at her. But I know that it's how it has to be for right now. And God has put these people in my way, or not in my way, but in my life, in order to uh, teach me some things. Because the decisions I was making, guys, were horrible. I mean, this is my, I guess we could call it technically my third attempt at getting off of drugs. Because I uh, I really let them rule me. And you real, you don't realize that you're doing that. You think you're just trying to get through the day or just trying to keep from getting sick or just trying to sleep. That was my main thing. I never had any peace. I couldn't shut my mind off. I couldn't rest. But I'm learning too. And it's, it's a situation where I truly had to be removed from my environment in order to improve. Because if I hadn't, I don't think I would have ever made even the small amount of progress that I've made thus far. In the middle of all this mess, I've managed to have three children. Um, as you probably heard, my twins uh, were over there in the polka dot dresses. They're three, and my son is two. And it is horribly difficult to be away from them while I do this because um, we get visits twice a month. But when you're raising kids, and I'm not saying I was perfect at it, but I love them, and I'm trying I'm not perfect at it, but they come and see me and they visit me and it is so hard. It hurts your insides to be separated from your kids. I'm sure you could imagine moms, especially not nothing wrong with dads, but it's heartbreaking. But what I have to do is look at the end result and not my current circumstances. We have a staff member there that can read me like a book and uh, she'll call me in occasionally and say what's going on. And I'll, I'll, I don't have to say very much. And she'll say, you know, I'm going through something. She'll give me a little example, and she'll say, and I really cannot look at my current circumstances. I can't let that get in the way. The enemy wants to confuse me with that. I have to look at how good it's going to be. I have to look at the great things that God is going to do for me and for my family. And I know that my family is in the process of being restored. I've got a lot to rebuild. I've got a lot of trust, and I've got a lot of issues that have to be mended. But through the grace of God, we are on our way. So.
God is good, isn't he? Whew, wonderful. So this is just a few examples of our um, Grace House. And it is definitely Grace House, you know. Um, so, you know, we are always, like I said earlier, in need of volunteers. Um, there's, you know, please uh, look at our table, visit the table, uh, get information package on us, um, give us a call. Um, and we are a uh, not-for-profit organization, and we run off of donations. You know, um, we are a faith-based program, and everything we teach comes from the Bible, because that's the that's the healing right there through Jesus. Um, so, please feel free to visit and pick up some ap- applications or brochures. Um, at this time, we're just gonna we're gonna give one more uh, signing. One more song, and then we'll be over at the table. If you'd like to speak to any of us, we'll be free and happy to talk to you. We're so glad you could be with us today and share your talents with us and your life with us. Thank you. Shall we pray? I thank you, dear Lord, for this reminder that you are always there for us. We just need to reach out to you, and you are there to help us through our good times and through our bad times. We come to this time now where we can share our lives, share our talents, our time, and our money because of the many blessings that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much, ladies, for sharing with us some of your life and uh, inspiring us the way that you you have. And um, we're glad that you are here to share with us today. We really appreciate the ministry that's going on over there. Uh, I'd like to begin this morning by asking you a very serious question, and that is, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? And of course, the answer is change. Whoever said anything about change? Or how many members of an established Bible teaching church that's over 20 years old does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is only one to actually change the light bulb, but 90 others to stand around and complain about how much they like the old one. Change. Change is indeed a very difficult subject. You may have heard about the woman who bought a piece of uh, needlework at a craft fair one day, and it was stitched with the words, prayer changes things. And she was very proud of this handiwork, so she hung it up over the fireplace in the middle of her family room, and several days later she noticed it was missing. So she asked her husband if he knew what had happened to it, and he replied, I took it down. And so she asked, don't you believe that prayer changes things? And he responded, yes, I do. I believe in prayer. As a matter of fact, I believe that prayer changes things, but I just don't happen to like change. So I took it down. We know some people are like that. Some people just don't like change. And the main thing that most people don't like to change is themselves. I mean, think about it. How many people who are caught up in a troubled marriage refuse to seek any kind of counseling? Some people would rather lose a good marriage than to change. Or how many people who are unhappy with their lot in life try frantically to find happiness, but they, they won't take that one necessary step to change their lives? Or how many people who are caught up in a cycle of of chemical abuse feel desperate about their lives and, and yet still they won't seek the help that they need because it might mean that they have to change. Change is a very difficult thing to do. As a matter of fact, uh, most of us resist change even when it's in our best interest. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. How many people here can type any at all. Great. The standard typewriter keyboard is a great example of how change is resisted, even if it is in our best interest. Have you ever noticed where the most frequently used keys are located on a keyboard? They are as far apart as possible. But why do you think that's the case? Because the original purpose of this arrangement was to slow down the speed of typing. Because you, you see, the keys on a typewriter back in the 1800s used to jam. You know, they all get jammed up together if, if the typist went too fast. But today, most of us use word processors. When was the last time you used a real typewriter with those keys that jump up there on the page? Today, we use word processors and computers, so you don't have the problem of these keys jamming. But guess what? About 50 years ago, a keyboard called the Dvorak Simplified Keyboard was developed. And on this keyboard, most of the frequently used keys are all in the home row. And the right hand does most of the work, more work than the left hand. 
And tests show that typists can greatly increase their speeds, sometimes up to five times, with no increase of errors. And yet, we still labor on with a keyboard that was designed to be inefficient. Why? Because we don't like to change. We don't like to change. The fact is that change is difficult for most of us. For some of us, us, it's more difficult than others. Some of us would rather die than to change. And unfortunately, that happens sometimes. People abuse their bodies and die rather than do something about it. People abuse their marriage partners and watch a good relationship die rather than making the necessary changes. People abuse their souls and watch their souls wither and die rather than to plug into the regenerating power of God's love. And some people are so content with doing things the way they've always done them that they'd rather sit back and watch themselves or their company or their family or their church die rather than to make the necessary changes to make it vibrant and alive again. Change is difficult. But I want to tell you something, folks. It's possible. And I believe that the Apostle Paul is probably the best evidence that this is true. I want you to think about his life for just a moment. Here was a man who had been one of the most fierce persecutors of the Christian community, and suddenly he became the most, its most eloquent spokesperson, kind of like these ladies were this morning. And his story has been repeated millions of times down through history because, you see, people can change and people do change. However, there's usually a progression in that change. Real change normally takes place overnight. And I imagine that's why you have a, a step program that you go through. It doesn't, happen, it doesn't usually take place overnight. It can, of course. But normally, several things have to happen in order to make change a lasting reality in a person's life. And I think the first thing that needs to happen is that we have to want to change. We have to want to change. And I hope that's why you're here today, because you want to continually change your life so that you can become more and more like Jesus. My friends, we change when we suddenly realize that it's too painful for us to remain the same. You may or may not know there's a little house up in Akron, Ohio that's been restored in such a way as to return it to its appearance uh, during the days of the Depression. It was once the home of Dr. Robert Holbrook, commonly known as Dr. Bob. It was Dr. Bob, along with Bill Watson, who created Alcoholics Anonymous. And now we have a historic landmark there where thousands of people travel simply to have a cup of coffee. They want to sit for a few moments in the kitchen of the house where Dr. Bob and Mr. Watson sat together and launched a program in an effort to keep each other sober. And even though it got off to a slow start, Alcoholics Anonymous grew into an international organization that has helped countless thousands of individuals achieve and maintain sobriety. And people who are involved with that, many thousands will tell you that change is possible. 
Very few, few people attempt change unless staying the way they are is more painful. Ron Jensen in Leadership Magazine tells about a painful ending to an attempted ski jump. It's a very famous ski jump, and you're probably already thinking of the one that I'm talking about if, you're, if you've ever seen the wild world of sports. You may know it as the agony of defeat. The skier appears in good form as he heads down the ski slope, but then for no apparent reason he tumbles head over heels off of the sky, off of the side of the jump. He bounces off of the structure, the supporting structure of the ski jump. And it was a terrible sight. But what viewers didn't know is that he chose to fall off of that ski jump rather than finish the jump. And the reason why is that the jump surface had become very icy. And as a result, it was too fast. And about midway down that slope, he realized that if he completed that jump, he would land on level ground beyond the safe landing zone, and that could have been fatal. As it was, that skier suffered no more than a headache and a few bruises, but if he had completed the jump in the manner which he started, it could have killed him. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's hard to change. Ask that ski jumper. But it's sure a whole lot better than a fatal landing. And we, we can change if we really want to. But we have to want to. But there's also something else that we need to do in order to make, a ch make change possible. Because you see... We can also change only if we have a vision of something better than what we have right now. Some of you who are old enough probably remember what Flip Wilson used to say. He said, what you see is what you get. And we laugh at that, like we laugh at most of the things that Flip Wilson used to say. But, but modern research into human behavior tells us that he's right what you see is what you get. What you can envision is what you can achieve. You may have seen the movie, the original Karate Kid, uh, in which the main character, Daniel, is befriended by a wise elderly maintenance man named Mr. Miyagi. Daniel finds Mr. Miyagi one day in the maintenance shed trimming a beautiful bonsai tree. Daniel's fascinated by this, so Miyagi tells him to try it. But Daniel says he doesn't, he has no idea how to try that, how to do that. But Miyagi encourages him to, to go ahead and try. First he's, he says, Daniel, close your eyes. And then Mr. Miyagi tells Daniel to picture in his mind the way he wants the tree to look when it's finished. And so Daniel concentrates, he closes his eyes and he concentrates on every little, little detail of the tree. And then Miyagi asks him if he, if he has the tree in mind and Daniel says yes. And so Miyagi says, open your eyes and begin. And so Daniel slowly begins to trim his tree. Every move is deliberate and focused. But then he stops, unsure. And he asks, how do I know if my picture is right? And Miyagi replies, if the picture comes from your heart, it's right. Trust your picture. 
People who study human behavior tell us that visualization is a very powerful tool for people who want to change. If you can see yourself as as being slender, then many of us can become slender. If you can picture yourself as being successful, then that picture will guide you to making better decisions in your life. And if you can picture yourself working with all the members of our congregation to accomplish God's work and God's ministry to all people in this community, then we have come a long way towards doing and being God's church for these people. Now, there there are limitations, of course. I've been visualizing myself as six foot tall for a long time now, but so far it hadn't happened. But still... If we can picture ourselves in our church as we might be, as God created us to be, then that can surely motivate us to change. And I believe that this is why every follower of Jesus Christ needs to have in his or her mind a picture of the kind of person that Jesus is. A picture of his gentleness, a picture of his patience and his love and his acceptance. It is that picture of the master that has caused so many millions of people to rise up to new levels of humanity. That old spirituality says, a spiritual song says, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. I want to be like Jesus in my heart. I want to be like Jesus in my heart. And folks, I want to tell you something. That is a crucial key to a changed life. Because you see, we can change if we want to because we can change if we have a mental image of the kind of person and the kind of church that God's created us to be. But here's the most important thing. We can change when we surrender our will to the will of God. I don't know, maybe Paul was ready for a change. Perhaps as he held Stephen's garments while the mob stoned Stephen to death. Maybe Paul knew somewhere deep down in his heart that Stephen was right and he was wrong. We know that after his blinding vision on the road to Damascus that he had this mental image of Jesus in his mind because he tells us to conform ourselves to that image in our own lives. But the important thing about Paul's life is that he was totally surrendered to the will of God. His conversion was complete. This was more than just a New Year's resolution. It was a conversion. And it was a total, unconditional surrender to God. And that's the only way that complete complete change can occur in our lives. E. Stanley Jones, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, once said that he had seen missionaries leave loved ones, friends, home, business prospects and come to other lands and find that they had given up everything they had except for themselves. Self was still there, he said, assertive and jealous for its place of honor. And folks, I want to tell you something. It is true that the greatest battle that any of us will ever fight is the battle with ourself. And how many times do we allow our pride and ourself get in the way of God's will? 
So you see, there's no other way to win except for surrender. Complete, total surrender to the will of God. And change doesn't come in three hours normally or three months or even or three days or even three months. It can, of course, but generally it doesn't. It's a lifelong commitment. It's something that you start and you don't finish until you die. But I want to tell you something. It's worth the price. Particularly the change that's involved in moving the world from the world of darkness into the world of light. When Earl Weaver was the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, he would sometimes come charging out to the plate and get nose to nose with the umpire and shout in his face, are you going to get any better at this or is this it? (laughs) Well, maybe God's asking that same question of us today. Maybe we're asking that question of ourselves. Are we willing to make the changes in our lives and in our family, in our church? Or is this it? Well, folks, we can change if we really want to. And we can change if we fix our eyes upon Jesus. And we can change if we're willing to totally and completely surrender our lives to God. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. How about you? Amen. We're going to sing that song.